Welcome to Random Thoughts from a Random Mind. What's going on with those cats? What are the flame that's stuck in the sky? What's a mind's touch? Is there a diamond the size of a basketball? A macrogenic, homicidal, Siamese twins? A ghost? A dictator? What are the good things in the of the body? How can I spoil it for one dollar? How much does a ton of money worth? Is there a gauge? Hello, and welcome back to Random Thoughts from a Random Mind. I am Mitchell Frog. Today I'm going to read Part 2 of Schrodinger's Plane. For those of you who have listened to the first four episodes, you have no doubt concluded that I am not a professional voice actor. I do not do voices, and I'm rather monotone. I am not the best writer in the world, or America, or in Tennessee, or Nashville, or even on my own street. So you may hear some slight grammar errors which may be characteristic of the character I'm trying to write, or a genuine grammar error. I don't have a sound engineer, an editor, a director, or a producer. It is just me. So if you are annoyed by my speech patterns or style of writing, you are free not to listen. I won't take it personally. However, if you persist, I think the plots of my stories are fabulous, particularly the conclusion of Schrodinger's plane. The NTSB had agreed to let the first person off the aircraft be examined there. Crane and Jackson carry the man into the lab with the media being held back by the National Guard. Inside, confirmed the man's heart wasn't beating. He put him on respirator. Air went in and out of his lungs, but his heart didn't beat. He performed CPR and the heart moved, but wouldn't beat independently. He injected adrenaline and applied the defibrillator, but his heart still wouldn't beat. Crane took the man off the respirator. Then he did a complete external examination but found nothing out of the ordinary. He removed blood with a needle because even after cutting his arm, his blood didn't flow. He took a drop of blood and suspended it in midair. Three hours later, Crane met with the entire team. Well, that man, Harold Stone, beside the point, Prangeli Zuma said, Doctor, please continue. Harold is lying in there, and I can't tell you if he's alive or dead. He isn't showing any signs of life, but he isn't decomposing either. His blood work isn't reacting with any of the chemical tests, but if I were to look at it, I would swear that it was just pulled out of my own arm. Do you have him on life support? I did, but the air going in is the same as the air going out. The air is moving, but it isn't being absorbed, so I took him off of it. We need to get him back on life support. He is in the same condition he has been in for the last two weeks. Since we can't determine what condition he is in now, putting him on any kind of life support may do more harm than good. Then what do you suggest we do? Why don't we get Harold's family in here to see him, Zuma suggests. What good would that do? The entire thing is so far beyond what we understand as good and bad that everything and anything we may or may not do may or may not help. Since you knew what his name was, then you clearly know where his Mexican are so get them together. Then what, Prangeli said sarcastically, Farmer spoke up for the first time. Get those people off the plane. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Even if those people never come out of whatever has happened to them, we have the ability to get them out. Crane and Jackson left to check on the progress of the makeshift hospital that was being set up at the National Guard Armory. Prangeli just sat there absorbing the meeting. Outside, Ranch was just standing, looking up at the flight. Are you okay? Amy asked. Yeah, I just hate when people don't do what they know is right. 
Is that all? That plane represents everything I got into physics for. Literally. I'm not a paid consultant here. I saw this on television and drove directly here to see it. And luckily, I get to work closely on it. Why is it so important to you? You know, besides the obvious. Ranch was quiet for nearly a minute. When I was a kid, before I decided that I was going to be a physicist, I had a recurring dream. It involved Frankenstein and anti-gravity. Let me explain. In the dream, I'm a kid. I'm playing in the front yard, and down the street comes Frankenstein. The 1930s Boris Karloff Frankenstein. Well, being a kid, I was more curious than frightened. Or maybe it was because it was a dream that I was more curious than frightened. Anyway, he came towards me, and when he was about 12 feet from me, I was levitated off the ground. I couldn't move. Well, I could move, but I was stuck in the air. Meanwhile, Frankenstein was moving closer and closer, and when his hand was about three feet from me, I became unstuck and fell to the ground. I was able to run away after that. But Frankenstein just kept coming. I would run, hide, and he would find me. The same thing would happen. Twelve feet out, I would levitate. Three feet out, I would fall and escape. I would finally wake up. I had this dream so many times I started trying to figure out how it could happen. That's what led me to physics. Wow, as a kid, you have a dream about being stuck in the air that leads you to physics, and that leads you to a plane stuck in the air. Talk about coincidences. Yeah, talk about coincidences. I have to go get on that plane. Why? Do you think Frankenstein is on the plane? Ranch just looked at the aircraft. Prangeli escorted Harold's wife, Sandy, and Holly Thornberry into the lab to see Harold. Dr. Crane was waiting with Harold, who was laid out in bed with his eyes closed. Sandy went over to him. She quietly spoke to him. She gently shook him. She spoke louder and shook him harder. Then she screamed at him to wake up. Crane led her away. His condition didn't change. It had been a long shot that seeing her would snap him out of it, but it was worth a try. Holly turned to Prangeli and handed him a piece of paper. That's a writ of habeas corpus. We will be taking Harold with us so he can be better cared for. Prangeli walked over to Harold, threw the sheet off his naked body, raised his body two feet off the bed, and left it hanging in the air. Show me the facility that specializes in levitating coma patients, and we can talk about this. Even as Prangeli held up the paper, the Texan took it from him and started escorting Holly out. Prangeli stopped them. I'm going to need your help. We're going to start taking people off the aircraft. We're going to put them in an emergency shelter set up in the National Guard Armory. As we get them set up in there, I will pass their names to you, and I expect you to arrange for the next of ten to visit them. We won't be moving them anywhere else, so don't bother me with any legal mumbo-jumbo, because our friends here will block anything you can produce. You weaseled your way into this position. Now you're going to use it for the good of our clients and not for your own profit. I know you are doing this job on contingency, and you will continue that way because if you start charging them, the entire press corps in the media room will find out about it. We clear? Fine. Goodbye. That felt good, he thought. I may not have control over these techs, but I can control lawyers. With everything set up, the evacuation of Flight 109A began in earnest. Captain Jackson had trained two recovery crews and went with each of them on their first rescue. After that, he oversaw the recovery operation from the armory. 
The rescue of the first hundred passengers went off without a hitch. However, passenger 101 scared Roger Mason so bad that he peed his pants. He had already evacuated 50 people to the shelter and was back on the aircraft where he reached for number 101. And his hand went into the body of the passenger. He screamed like a little girl, ran out of the aircraft, and only avoided falling to the ground because he was harnessed to the helicopter. By the time the copter landed at the armory, Jackson had called Amy Zuma, and she was waiting. The EMT nearly fell out of the copter. What happened, she demanded. He turned to leave, and Amy turned him back around. Wait, I need more details. I am going to get drunk and forget the details. You want to know the details? You go up. He left, and Jackson didn't stop him. Zuma turned to Jackson. We need to go up there. Not we. Me and Ranch Farmer. You are the lead scientist, and the captain stays behind while the first mate goes on the mission. Farmer knows the science and is on his way here. I know which passenger we are looking for and how to save Farmer if he gets in trouble. He will report back to you. That is how it is going to work. You won't be getting on the aircraft unless it is 100% safe. NTSB orders. And the way things look, it will never be 100% safe. You may be smart. Prangeli may be in charge. But I make sure everyone is safe. That isn't fair. Ranch got there just as she said it and knew what she was talking about. It's not fair, but it is right, and you know it. And you know why. She just looked at him. Ranch and Jackson got ready and left. On the way up, Farmer got his first shock. Who is a passenger? One Frank Schrodinger. Who? You heard me. I know you and Amy like to refer to this as Schrodinger's plane. That's why Prangeli and I have withheld the name of the passenger from you. We don't need some religious or superstitious creeping into your work. The two of you are hard enough to follow as it is. Now hook up and let's get down there. They were lowered down to the aircraft and Jackson led the way. Inside they approached Schrodinger's seat. When they got there, Jackson stepped back and Ranch took the lead. First, he put the ruler he had brought along, then he got his second shot. Schrodinger was holding a movie magazine, and the magazine had a picture of Boris Karloff as Frankenstein. He jumped back and would have fallen if not for Jackson catching him. Are you okay? Yes, fine. I just need to map out the area. He went forward and began probing around one with the ruler. Part of the seat had destabilized, along with he marked the edges. Okay. We can't move him, even if we could. We need to move these people away from him. It may not help, but it can't hurt. Okay, let's get you out of here. One more thing. On each trip, your people need to mark the edges of the destabilized area. We need to know if it is stable or growing. Fine, we'll do that. But right now, you're getting out of here. Wait, I should take advantage of being here. I need to look out the cockpit. Why? I want to see where we're pointed. The computer model shows you. Ranch ignored him and ran up front. He looked out the cockpit windows, knowing exactly what he was looking for. The house he grew up in. The setting of his dream. And there it was, right in the middle of the window, at ground zero. Jackson caught up with him. What are you looking for? Answers. But there aren't any. I'm ready to go. On his way out, he grabbed the cushion from the seat next to Frank. He left with an unreasonable dread. Frank Schrodinger is the observer, Zuma told Pransley. Great. So what does that mean? It means 
that his indecision is what is holding the aircraft in a state of uncertainty. Great. So what does that mean? It means that he is the center of all this. We need to know everything about this person. Great. So why do we need to know that? So we can, maybe, figure out why and how he became the sole observer. Great. Then we can fix it? Oh, heavens no. This is so far beyond us that we could never fix it. I don't even know what you mean when you say fix it. We've been here a month, and not only haven't you been able to fix this, now you're telling me you don't even know what I mean when I say fix it. Yes. What do you mean by fix it? Get the aircraft out of the sky without loss of light, without property damage. While I am not here to fix this, I am here to understand it. This is not the movies where a ragtag team of humans go in and decrypt the alien technology that is a thousand years more advanced than their own and use it to defeat the bad guys. There are only two outcomes to this situation. The first is that the aircraft stays where it is, the people in the armory stay the way they are for the rest of their lives. Second, the aircraft falls out of the sky and causes millions of dollars worth of damage. There isn't anything that we can do to affect either of these outcomes. We have been here a month and you haven't realized that yet? So, get me information on Frank Schrodinger so I can try to understand. That is not an acceptable answer, Prangeli snarled. What part of we can't fix this don't you understand? You might as well ask me to go back in time and stop an earthquake. Don't be ridiculous. We are removing the people from the aircraft. Those lives were saved. So don't tell me you can't do anything to fix this. Jackson interrupted. I don't think you have a full grasp of the situation. I am the only one that has a full grasp of the situation. You look at the plane from a mile away and think you understand, but you don't. It's time for you to get on that plane. It's an aircraft. There's no need for me to get on board it. Well, maybe you do have a partial gasp of the situation. Everyone on this base and 90% of the people in the state want to get on that plane. The fact that you don't want to go on it shows that you know how unnatural and beyond our control this is. Dr. Zuma, I will get the information you want and I'll send it to you within the hour. Is there anything else you want? Farmer spoke up. The names and addresses of everybody that was evacuated from the predicted crash area. That will take a little longer, but I think I can have it to you by the end of the day. Anything else? Someone needs to put hands on every person that is coming off that aircraft once an hour. We need to know if they are deep. Frank Schrodinger was a movie special effects expert. Fifty movies to his credit, no family, few friends, just his work. There was absolutely no reason for him to be disappearing or to be chosen by the perpetrator of this miracle to be the observer. Farmer was stumped. Jackson increased the rate of evacuation and was able to remove everyone except Schrodinger. The passengers were placed in a grid that exactly mirrored their position on the plane, with an empty spot for Frank. The passengers' relatives were allowed to visit them, but not take them away. And per Zuma's instructions, a nurse laid hands on each passenger every hour. After several days, it was determined that the area of instability was growing at a rate of about a foot a week. By the sixth week, the aisle had become destabilized and the front half of the aircraft became inaccessible from the overwing hatch. It was possible to throw something over the area of instability. No one was willing to jump across. Just putting a hand on the unstable area gave a person a feeling that no one could describe.
but made every single person want to go out and get drunk to forget it. Six weeks and two days after the plane became stuck, the first patient became unstable. The nurse on the duty was the first to discover it, and even though she had been briefed on what may happen, she screamed and ran out of the armory. My hand went through her shoulder. She kept repeating over and over. Amy and Ranch were in the armory before the nurse had her first drink. She wasn't willing to leave them to the passenger, but she pointed. That's her, the woman with the sheet that is falling into her body. She was right. The sheet was on the bed on the left side of the body and on top of the woman without falling through the middle of the body. Zuma put her hand through the body, grabbed the sheet and pulled it through the left half of the body and off the body. That was just wrong, Zuma said. We need to examine the sheet. What did it feel like? I don't know how to describe it, but I don't want to feel it again. I need to get on that aircraft and compare this feeling to the feeling up there. Jackson looked at her. Yeah, why not? Everybody else has gone up there. It's becoming a regular tourist attraction. Finally. The helicopter was off the pad with Jackson and Zuma within 30 minutes. He hooked her up and briefed her before they got to the aircraft. He went down first, and the jump master lowered her down. They went in the hatch and moved forward to where Frank Schrodinger sat, frozen and confused. Zuma put her hand into the destabilized area but couldn't reach him. Put your hand through the seat next to him, Jackson said. She did. The feeling was exactly the same, but it wasn't enough for her. She turned and looked at Jackson to step forward. She fell about a foot and then hit the bottom of the destabilized sphere and slid down under the floor and out of Jackson's sight. When her head was fully inside the sphere, the feeling spread over her entire body, the feeling of coming apart, and she passed out. Jackson grabbed the lifeline and pulled her up above the floor and out of the sphere. He carried her to the hatch, and the jump master pulled her back up. They flew straight to the hospital, and Dr. Crane met them on the helipad. She was stabilized, but unconscious when Ranch got to the hospital. How is she? Unconscious. She may have hit her head, but I don't know for sure. This is the first evidence we have that the stabilized zone is dangerous, Crane said. This could be as simple as our brains can't handle the sensory inputs from the destabilized zone ranch they arrived. Prangeli showed up and put in his two cents. We should put everyone back in the aircraft. Limit the damage. It's too late. One of the passengers already can't be moved. If we can't move them all, then there's no sense in moving any of them. What if the destabilization spreads beyond the passengers? I don't think that will happen. There's no evidence that the beds are being affected. The sheet we tested is fine. Jackson came in. How's Amy? To everyone's surprise, Zuma answered, I have a headache because these idiots won't shut up. Otherwise, I think I'm fine. Thank goodness, Ranch exclaimed. Crane checked her eyes. Was it the same feeling? Yes, it was. And the feeling is a feeling of coming apart because that is what is happening to them. Until Schrodinger can make up his mind, that will continue to happen. How is he going to make up his mind if he is frozen in time? What are we going to do? Unfreeze him, Prangeli said. That is out of our hands. As we theorized before, however, while I was asleep, I kept getting flashes of lightning. Didn't this all start with that plane struck by lightning? Yes, it did. That must have been it. 
Speaking of lightning, there's a line of thunderstorms coming this way out of the west. They should be here in four to six hours, Jackson said. Jackson, can you stay on topic? Okay, here's a topic for you. Normal flights to the aircraft. NTSB has been in control of this long enough. The government has taken control of the non-crash quarantine it and put me in charge. He is also releasing the passengers to their families. You can't do that. These people are going to start disappearing. Nebraska is tired of fitting the bill for a federal project. We are releasing them. I'll be talking to my director, who will be talking to the secretary, who will be talking to the president. Let's see what happens then, Prangeli stormed out of the room. Did the governor really do that? No, nah, I just felt like turning his crank. When the president calls the governor, the governor knows nothing about what he is saying. Prangeli will have some explaining to do. He'll put it on you. Yeah, so I'm already retirement age. I am quarantining the plane, though. It has become too dangerous, especially with a storm coming. Is it a thunderstorm? Ranch and Amy said together. Yes, there's something you should know. Is everyone evacuated under the plane? Yes, what do I need to know? Send the families of the passengers home before the storm gets here. I guess that is what I should know. Reprangeli out of the way, Jackson quietly cleared the projected crash area. He sent the families home and he, Ranch, and Amy watched the plane. The storm arrived and the clouds were full of lightning. It didn't take long before the aircraft was struck. The fire department had been alerted and 20 units from Hastings and the surrounded towns were waiting to see if anything was going to happen. The aircraft sat there for two seconds after it was struck, then took off at 200 miles an hour along the same trajectory it had been following. The plane came down on the abandoned neighborhood and exploded. Crane and the medical staff were watching the passengers, and to the best they could tell, at the same instance the plane started moving, all the passengers started screaming. The firefighters moved in and started to quench the fires. How did you know, Prangeli said. I didn't know. I knew there was nothing we could do, and I think that whoever did this was trying to save someone. I just hoped that they wouldn't kill a plane full of people to do it. What if the person they were trying to save was on the plane? That's another reason not to kill them. I thought if the, we cleared the way, it might let the plane continue and stop the destabilization before it really killed anybody. Frank Schrodinger died, yes, but it is one dead, not 1,000. Frank Schrodinger was going to Omaha, Nebraska to work on a low-budget horror film tentatively named Zombie Strippers from Outer Space versus Dino Croc. It was for the Sci-Fi Channel. They were flying next to a storm when the plane was struck by lightning. To Frank, it felt as if he had been struck. When it was over, the plane seemed to be brighter than before. The people next to him seemed to be brighter. The plane was falling. Frank had always been indecisive, but he was determined to be positive, so he kept repeating to himself, We are not going to crash. We are not going to crash. But he was sitting by the window, and he saw the ground getting closer and closer. And he started to waver. We might crash, he thought to himself. No, we are not going to crash. We're going to crash. We are not going to crash. We're going to crash. He suddenly didn't know if they were going to crash or not. And he blacked out for what he thought was a second. Then another bolt of lightning hit the plane, and he knew they were going to crash. And in that instant, everyone on the plane seemed to disappear. He was alone. That was when Flight 109A, with only Frank Schrodinger, crashed to the ground. 
Six months later, the crash of Flight 109A was a distant memory to the world in general. It was still the main topic for research in the world of physics. Amy Zuma had left Cal Poly and went to work for the University of Nebraska at Lincoln so she could be close to the incident site. UNL was more than willing to give a Nobel Prize winner anything she wanted to teach for them. She and Farmer skipped all the preliminaries and went straight to living together. None of the surviving passengers were suffering any physical ill effects from the suspended animation or near crash. Of course, all of them needed counseling. Captain Jackson wrote the definitive book on the incident with some help from Amy and Ranch. Then he retired. Prangeli, well, Prangeli was put on long-term medical leave when he went slightly crazy trying to figure out why what had happened. A year after the crash, Prangeli showed up at UNL trying to get more information for his book. I believe there was somebody on that plane that God didn't want killed. It's a little far-fetched, wouldn't you say? Amy mocked. No, think about it. Everyone on the plane, I mean aircraft, would have died. However, God stopped it in midair and let the person he wanted to live off the plane then finish crashing it. Wouldn't it have been easier just to put a force field around the person or simply teleport the person off the aircraft? Prangeli ignored the comment. That is why I'm tracking every one of the survivors. I'm going to find out who it is, then God and I are going to have a little talk. Well, i got to run. I have ten interviews scheduled with survivors. I know I can fix this. Prangeli, there's nothing to fix. We can only hope to understand what happened. Prangeli ignored, didn't hear, or simply didn't process Amy's comment. He turned to leave the office and ran to a 13-year-old boy. Excuse me, the boy said. Prangeli, I'd like to introduce you to Simon Porter. He and his family were evacuated from the crash site while the plane was suspended. Prangeli shook his hand, mumbled a greeting, and left. Ranch stood up and ushered the boy in. Welcome. I'm Dr. Ranch Farmer, and this is Dr. Amy Zuma. We are so glad to meet you. So glad you're alive. Thank you, but why did you want to see me? You don't know this, but I used to live in the same house you did, the one the plane crashed on. Wow, I bet you're glad you don't own what's left of it now. I was only a child then, so I didn't own it. Mr. and Mrs. Porter, we would like to offer Simon a full scholarship to UNL. That's very nice of you, but I don't like science, Simon retorted. It's not a science scholarship. You can study whatever you want to, for as long as you want. We are arranging these scholarships for many of the crash survivors. Why are you doing this? Because we expect great things from all the children who survived the crash, and we want to help you achieve that greatness. The End I think we'll start using the end when a story ends instead of trying to be cool by coming up with some phrases that mean the end. I hope you enjoyed the story. I will admit that there isn't an explanation as to how the plane got stuck in the sky, or who did it, or even why they did it. I think that's part of the charm of the story. Sometimes amazing things happen, and all we can do is watch it happen, and hope it happened for the better. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Mitchell Frog. Please join us again next week for another episode of Random Thoughts from a Random Mind.